All those comics, all the games, all those toys, all the TV, the animation. Just give us, just give us one hour and 45 minutes and we will give you everything Welcome to This Week in Episode Number 270, the final episode ever of 2016. I'm VP and Executive Editor Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, and I'm joined by... Editorial Director of Marvel Digital Media, Ben Morse, and I am, of course, joined by... Assistant Editor, Christine Dunn. And Mark Strom, I do stuff. (laughs) Um, Strom, you're the worst. Dear listeners, we're going to apologize for this episode right off the bat, but uh, one thing we like to do at the end of every year is record our final episode with as many of us at the same time as possible, which is essentially a giant train wreck, uh, but fun for everyone. Uh, So I'm recording right now in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Ben is presumably in New Jersey. Christine is in Los Angeles. And Mark is, I don't know, somewhere in Alaska? (laughs) <laughs> Minneapolis. Yeah, exactly. On my way to St. Paul. Oh, very nice. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Loot Crate. Uh, so if you got them money dollars, you know, burning a hole in your pocket, you got some good uh, gift cards and whatnot, we're going to tell you how to spend them delightfully. You got some of those Amex bucks or city cards or I don't know, whatever money happens to have come your way. We'll, uh, Easy pass. Yeah, wait, what? Bingo card. Yeah, all of those will help you figure out how to get uh, a Loot Crate subscription because it's really, really worth your while. But um, how was everybody's holiday? You know what Loot Crate sent me today, actually? They sent me some socks. Aw, congratulations. I didn't get socks. I I didn't get socks. You might have. They're probably just waiting for you back at the office. Ah. So we won't spoil what socks you got, but Loot Crate is just the gift that keeps on giving. This is true. Strawberry, Christine, spoil for me. What? What's not? Why I'm asking Christine to spoil for me? What, what kind of sock? All you have on your desk is an empty box of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and that is all I can see. What, what do you mean you don't open my mail for me illegally? I don't even think you get mail. That's yeah, true. <laughs> Terrific. Well, I'm glad the holidays are wonderful for all of you. Uh, Let's dive into new comics this week. Ben, you're up first. I'm kicking us off with Black Panther number nine, written by Ta-Nehisi Coates, art by Brian Stelfreeze, colors by Laura Martin. This is the first full issue that uh, Shuri is back, and Shuri is playing a major role in the book once again. We kind of check in on all our players. It's it's actually a very cool issue. You'd see what's going on with Changemeyer. We get to see what's going on, again, with Shuri and T'Challa. We get a little debate over the direction of Wakanda and how they can best preserve this country. We get some interaction between uh, Zenzi and Tetu and the people interacting with the Midnight Angels. They have a tentative alliance, but they have a little argument over how to manage the people. Uh, There's some really good political tension stuff going on here. 
Uh, and then we're back at the Capitol with the Midnight Angels delivering an ultimatum to T'Challa and T'Challa firing back the only way he knows how. And, of course, some really good, good information in the back, too. The art in this book is gorgeous. Selfridges at the top of this game. Laura Martin brings the luscious colors. It's a great all-around package, Black Panther number nine. Yeah, that was a really – it was an intense issue, especially if you're reading the um, the World of Wakanda book. Seeing Which you the, should be. Yeah, 100%. Seeing how the Midnight Angels sort of come to be and where they get – how they get to where they are now uh, and seeing – that, those relationships develop alongside what's going on now. It's fantastic. Christine, okay. you're up next. We have Black Widow, um, number nine, with um, Chris Sammy and Mark Wade, also artist Sammy. And I think the last podcast, I like laughed poetic on how um, incredible, incredible an artist that Chris Sammy is. So this one, we pick off with, um, you know, the weeping lion working with Natasha. She was trying to, you know, black a male of a blackmailer, and she kind of comes across uh, a school of assassins who have been dispersed all over um, the world. She found a couple in the White House, and actually finds out that um, the Winter Soldier has been watching out over her. And there's a lot of tension right there, but the issue is beautiful. The scene, like the pacing, and how you can see that, like, her training pretty much inspired her, like, ballet movements through her taking down all the bad guys. This one was a bit of a heartbreaker. Um, ben, remember, what, what was it, what book was it where all the Black Widow, Winter Soldier stuff happened? You got the best of me. You just keep on coming back incessantly. What's happening? I'm not listening nobody? to their part of the podcast. No, ever. <laughs> nope. Nobody from the uh, from the '90s. Heartbreaker. Nobody. Ben. Ryan, you were saying. I was asking, what was the book yes. that had that great Black Widow Winter Soldier story? It was the Winter Soldier ongoing series that Ed Brubaker kicked off. He when he left and finished his time on the Bucky Barnes character, the harsh blow he dealt was that Natasha forgot all about her memories with the Winter Soldier. So basically forgot that they were in love, forgot they had this relationship. It was really, it was terrible. It was basically, she had been mind-controlled and brainwashed by one of his enemies, and the only way to fix her was to erase him from her memories. It was, it was tough. And the minute I saw Winter Soldier was guest-starring in Black Widow, Black Widow, I wondered if they would touch on this, and they did, and it's still just heart-rending. All right, next is Captain America, Steve Rogers, number eight, written by Nick Spencer, art by Jesus Saiz. Um, and this, so at the end of the last issue, we had the big reveal of Captain America's longtime chum, Baron Zemo, uh, which if you've been following Captain America, you know that his, his history has been rewritten by Kobik and by the Red Skull. So now instead of Bucky as his lifelong friend and his anchor to everything, he's got the younger Baron Zemo as his childhood friend. They went to school together. They grew up together. Uh, you get a different side of the elder Zemo. Which one is he? Is he Helmet? No. Heinrich. Heinrich. Yeah. Heinrich is the old one. Helmet is the young one. Right. Of course. Naturally. As you would assume. Yeah. Uh, you've got a bit of him in here, which... I mean, we always see him as this 
cackling supervillain, and here he's like this like cool dad who sees his son and his son's best friend being mischievous and stealing stuff. Is like, I ah, don't worry about it. I got stuff to do. You guys are good. Oh, if you're a neo-Nazi, Baron Zemo is the coolest dad ever. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, while that's going on in, in the past, and sort of we, we see Steve's memories of this uh, as he's starting to try to connect to Helmet. Um, there's a, an invasion of Chitari happening, and Carol Danvers, Alpha Flight, they have to stop this Chitari invasion. Boom. Then we get to see Avril Kincaid, the new Quasar. She's got the Quantum Bands, she's being trained by Wendell Vaughn, um, which I'm excited to see where her story is, because that's just a cool power. Plus, we get a little bit of Eon, who, Ben, he's got to be one of your favorites. Oh, my goodness. You can never get enough Eon, the tree that has a face, and it's a weird cosmic planet, and makes Quasar's life difficult. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Eon. No surprise. Strami, are you an Eon fan? Uh, I don't know who Eon is. Oh, my God. Wait. Oh, my God. You're, am, you're, am I missing something? Like, yeah, Eon. He's the, a weird cosmic dude. Were you never a which, cosmic which character one? guy? No. Which one was he? He's got a giant eyeball and then a face, but he kind of looks like a tree, and he would tell <laughs> Quasar what to do. Oh wait, I do remember that. He's still around. Kind of. Right. In, in flashback. Yeah, well, it's just a little bit of a flashback, a little look at him. So I'm hoping for just, more. Just a taste. Just just a taste. Just uh, a tip. We, we get uh, a whole bunch of other conversation in the past, in, in Steve's recollection of the past, that sets some things in motion that should be really interesting coming forward. But also, we get to see uh, an even bigger wave of Chitari come to Earth, like a really catastrophic level type wave. Uh, Avril Kincaid Quasar comes in and just zaps them all away. Little little bit of stardust, and she's all happy. Uh, but Steve Rogers is, for sure, playing all kinds of people in all kinds of ways, and by the end of the issue, we figure out a little bit more of his master plan, and it is devious. I would watch a freeform series called Heidrich Shums, about the teenage years of uh, Brainwash Steve Rogers and Helmut Zemo. Strami, would you watch this show? Jeff Loeb on the phone. I think we have a pitch for him. <laughs> uh, Strami, it's your turn to shine. You got Carnage number 15. Carnage. All right. So we should preface this by saying that Christine and I cover film and TV. We do not exhaustively read all of the comics I the same read way. everything in my series. Well, I'll... I'll <laughs> I, no, I was just going to say that we don't exhaustively every single week read every book the way you guys do. So I was pleasantly surprised to find out that Carnage, which I hadn't read since the beginning of the year, is now like a stealth HP Lovecraft in the Marvel Universe book. Because they're essentially raising up Cthulhu, except it's Chathan instead of Cthulhu. And Thankfully, Cthulhu and most of Lovecraft's works are in the public domain, I believe. So, yes, they are. They all, the, all, ninety-nine uh, percent of Lovecraft stuff is in the public domain. Um, but yeah, and instead of the Necronomicon, we've got the Darkhold, and it's exciting. I don't know. I enjoyed it because it was like this weird mesh of like 
uh, Tomb of Dracula, uh, the old Marv Wolfman Gene Colan series, meets H.P. Lovecraft. So it was essentially just like this weird, like they're trying to stop the end of days because Carnage is trying to raise Cathan, who is this huge, squiddy-looking elder deity thing that wants to destroy the whole universe. And after, what number is this? Uh, 15 issues, we finally get to see Chathan. Is this what he looked like before, Ben? Uh, it's more or less his original design, but I think it's a little tweaked by Mike Perkins. He took some uh, some chances and made a little more modern and updated. And then Chathan, like during the like ten years ago, was he didn't he take like a more human looking form at some point? I think most times we've seen Chathan, he we only see his true form briefly because he possesses people, like he possessed the Scarlet Witch in yeah, the uh, right, Knights right. of Wondergore story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is uh, anyway. It's fun because it's this weird supernatural cosmic horror adventure series masquerading as a you know supervillain slash superhero comic book. Christine, which is your favorite Lovecraftian villain entity, elder thing, elder god? I don't really have one because they're all so perfect, right? You can't pick just one. <laughs> Well, they all do, you know, really mighty things. And, you know, let's split my love. Let all my children equally. Exactly. Neolo Hortep was the correct answer there. <laughs> Anyways. Have, have you read all of Lovecraft, haven't you? A good chunk. Great. Ben? Yes, let's talk about Civil War Two number 8. The big, giant, immense, hardback, cover size conclusion of civil war two it was written by brian michael bendis the main artist by david marquez but you've got pitching in by adam kubert Lionel francis Yu, daniel acuna alan davis and mark farmer marco rudy mark bagley and john dell and asad rabik it's all colored by justin ponzor uh we have a few things going on here the main thrust of the issue is a big huge epic battle between captain marvel and iron man that david markels just draws the hell out of it's amazing the effects he's using and getting to see iron man getting torn apart by captain marvel and then firing back it's a really brutal war between them and then you've got the other heroes stepping in you've got spider-man miles morales trying to play a role captain america trying to play a role Nova and Miss Mar- and Miss Marvel fly in. The humans are there, and what happens is while this is all going on, Ulysses is trying to gain control of his powers. And what happens is that he projects everyone into these possible futures. We get to see this crazy stuff being drawn. We get to see Adam Kubert drawing dinosaurs. We get to see Lemuel Yu drawing IVX. Uh, Alan Davis drawing Martians. All sorts of crazy, you know what going on, and then. Uh, there's a there's a twist for Ulysses. Uh, he looks so happy. He looks so happy. So happy. Um, and and he gets accepted into a new group of beings. There's a new thing for him. And then we cut back to Washington D.C. where the fight has taken a terrible toll on him. And one of my favorite parts of the issue is a conversation between Beast and Carol Danvers, where Beast essentially lays out Tony Stark's argument better than he could have. So I I enjoyed that. Tony Stark could never 
fully lay out his argument because, you know, he's Tony Stark. He's got the ego. He's got everything else going on. But Beast can kind of break it down and be like, look, logically, this is what Tony was doing. Captain Marvel gets a huge opportunity, and we get to see what she's going to do. We get kind of a glimpse of what's going on in the Marvel Universe as a result of Civil War II, what's coming up besides all the futures we saw, and it all ends with Captain Marvel. Heck yeah. Awesome. Cool. So we have next Deadpool, Too Soon, number three. And um, I really love Deadpool since you know, his very Hufflepuff uh, trait was that he called all the funny characters in the um, MCU to come to this mansion in Long Island to take a holiday photo together. But of course, you know, nothing really goes well for Wade. So, you know, four Bushman fell over dead. And we kind of find out that this card, on this holiday card, people are kind of taking down everyone who was there. He received a package with Ant-Man's head, Groot's head, and Rocket's head. So he has to enlist Howard the Duck, who, sorry, there's just a lot of yelling here. You're um, at Marvel in, in your cube, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, he finds out that, hey, my buddies are all getting checked off this list of mine. So he, you know, Howard takes them to find Doctor Strange and for them trying to kind of figure out who who's this mystical being that's attacking all his friends. But um, my favorite part of this uh, issue was raining chimichangas in Doctor Strange's house. As it normally does. And a reminder, <laughs> this is a collection of two issues that were originally Infinite Comics. Mm-hmm. Definitely check those out if you get the chance, because uh, the Infinite Comics are just, just a cool way to read the stories. Yeah, and it's, you know, hilarious when you have Deadpool leading in. Yes. Moving over to Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer Supreme number three, written by Robbie Thompson, pencils by Javier Rodriguez, inks by Alvaro Lopez, and colors by Jordi Belair. This one is all about Kushala, who is the Spirit of Vengeance member of the Sorcerer Supreme. We get to see her origin. Then we go to Merlin's kind of his keep where he's got all his, his cool magical stuff. The Sorcerer Supreme are investigating it. I love the chemistry we're forming between this team with the young ancient one, with Isaac Newton being a jerk, as we know Isaac Newton was. That's totally historically accurate, a thousand percent. His mindful one helps him out. We had a cool, like, Ditko-esque look inside of Merlin's locker and people going upside down and people going all over the place. Uh, Before you go past that, that is one of my favorite two-page spreads this year, coming in right under the wire. It's gorgeous. It's like MC Escher and Steve Ditko and Bonkers Weird, and it's it's also just beautiful. Yeah, the Forgotten tracks them these guys down. The Forgotten, I love. It's just this weird looking, twisted villain who we learn a little bit more about in here. Kushala does something to him, uh, him it. It's not a him that uh, totally messes with the visual appearance, makes it even cooler looking, uh, and then. Other members of the whole crew seem to have little secrets that they're holding back. It seems that uh, we don't know everything about them. And Gishala, um specifically has an agreement with Merlin that's going to make a huge difference on what's coming up next. I love this series so much. It's a lot of fun. It's really... Uh, it's. I mean, it's basically new characters. It's characters who have been used very sparingly, like future Wiccan is a different version of Wiccan. Isaac Newton was only briefly used in S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and these new characters are great, so it's really like a fresh, exciting take on sorcery in the Marvel Universe. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, 
how Immortal Iron Fist kind of rewrote the rules on kung fu stuff or martial arts and just created all these cool new characters. I feel like Doctor Strange and Sorcerer Supreme is doing something similar for like the magic sword and sorcery type. Spot on. Christine, you're up next. We have the Enchanted Tiki Room, a number three. And um, so I you know, live in L.A., and I'm always at Disneyland, and the Enchanted Tiki Room is my favorite place to hang out when it's super hot out. And uh, this issue kind of tackles all the people that I normally see at the ride. I mean, at the ride. Little, you know, attraction. So we have Jose, one of the Macaws, um, Mac- kind of, you know, giving a new song to all the Macaws, and it's a whole love song to himself. And, um, you know, we see that the Tiki gods give out gifts to everyone. And, you know, I don't know how you would feel if, you know, like your pets were suddenly able to give a voice and who you thought your companion who loved you did not love you. It's just kind of, who knew all this drama existed in this little Tiki room? But it's a fun romp for everyone. Fun romp indeed. You know what else is a fun romp, guys? <laughs> Extraordinary X-Men number 17, which is part of the Inhumans vs. X-Men IVX crossover. It's written by Jeff Lemire, guest pencils by Eric Coda, inks by Tom Palmer, colors by Maury Hollowell. We're in X-Haven, and we're following mainly the story of this little girl and her younger sister. The younger sister has been taken to X-Haven because she has M-Pox. That's the only place they're trying to find a cure. This kind of serves as the skeleton of what's going on. We're weaving in and out of Storm, Old Man Logan, and Forge coming back from the big summit that happened in IVX number one. Storm coming to grips with the fact that she needs to go to war with the Inhumans. This is the only way to save mutants. Uh, Old Man Logan kind of says his piece a little bit. They have a nice moment there. And, but meanwhile, this little girl just wants Storm to come visit her sister because Storm is her sister's hero. So Storm comes and visits, and it's really sweet. She gives her an X-Men code, or she lets her pick her own X-Men code name. Uh, she basically is there for her final moments, and this is the straw that breaks Storm's back. And when she says, you know what, screw it. I was conflicted before, but we've got to go. We've got to take down these Inhumans. We've got to make Earth safe for mutants again. we got to do whatever it takes. And it just opens up, and it's going to be IVX madness for the next three months or so. Hell yeah. This one was a bit of a gut punch. Yeah, a little bit. Also, like, it's hard to turn against or, or, like, not fully see the X-Men's point of view when you you read an issue like this and see all the stuff that they're going through. And it's a hell of an issue. Yeah, it's, it's a really good – it's like we talked about in Civil War II. Some of the tie-in issues really did a good job of being able to take, all right, this is the issue at the center of Civil War II. There's a lot going on in the main book, so they can't kind of strip it down. But you go to an issue of like Invincible Iron Man, you'd be like, oh, I really get Tony's point of view. Or you get to an issue of Captain Marvel, oh, I really get Captain Marvel's point of view. It's the same here. It's like the big fights are going on in the main IBX book, so there's going to be a lot of real estate – given to that but this is where jeff lemire gets to really double down and say this is why the x-men are doing what they're doing and i think he comes up with a really compelling reason definitely next we have ghost rider uh number two uh it's the all new ghost rider robbie reyes um and this one was actually a really exciting story um Bobby's not really in it as frequently. You kind of see the squad of other heroes joining 
um, joining in because there's this like purple goo going around town and it's kind of absorbing all of our hero's power. So right now, uh, Amadeus Cho, our Hulk, kind of let this little goo bite him. So now this is impenetrable and we see Wolverine come into play and this really cute banter between Amadeus and the new Wolverine. He's trying to be cool, except, you know, she spilled blood, and now this purple goo has absorbed her adamantum hands as well. So it's just this weird, messed up purple goo going around, and now they have to deal with rolling into Robbie's head with um, a new gang member who has just left prison, who wants to be out of the gang, but his, uh, his Padres, won't, his Hermanos won't like him. Stromy knows what that's like. <laughs> Every day of my life. <laughs> so yeah, so it's just kind of cool to see where this heads up next, because from where we left off at the end, um, you know, the Ghost Rider doesn't really like the Hulk and Wolverine on his street. One thing I gotta say about writer Felipe Smith, uh, who works on Ghost Rider, is he, we've seen with Robbie Reyes that he really gets how to write young people. He really gets a good vibe on how to write like a young man with huge responsibilities. But here he did kind of, he got to write more young characters with different twists. And that was specifically like Amadeus Cho having this immediate crush on Wolverine and her just mm-hmm. having nothing to do with it. Those, the mo- interaction between the two of them just rang so true for me. I really enjoyed it. I also love that this book has kind of become this stealth, like Marvel Universe team up book, at least in the first two issues. Because mm-hmm. you've got. Hulk and you've got Wolverine and they're they take up almost as much real estate as Ghost Rider does in his own book and I'm, I love it. Well, I think I, I mean one of the, one of the things with this new series is just the whole idea of introducing Robbie Reyes into the larger Marvel universe because for the first you know twelve issues of his original run he was sort of existing in his own pocket of East Los Angeles and. This is essentially sort of the stealth Ghost Rider team-up book that allows him to really sort of uh, become a more integral part of the larger universe. Yeah, and I think like people like uh, Amadeus doesn't really understand the, the roadmap of East LA, so I think he just kind of stumbled upon all this stuff and having to interact and you know forcing Robbie to interact with people who are gifted like him. Totally. It's good to have two native Angelinos on the show with us talking about the comics this week. What does that sound? I, I think Strum- it's me waving Strum- a book. Are you whittling something, Strawfy? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop flapping my book. Okay. Great. You stop because, flapping everything. Yeah, because it's my turn with Great Lakes Avengers number three. This is written by Zach Gorman, art by Will Robson, colors by Tamara Von Valen. And uh, here you get to see a little bit of the younger days, the origin story of Flatman, um, who is a man who can turn himself flat, which, what a power. Um, the Great Lakes Avengers are coming together. They're trying to do some good in Detroit, although they have been told they cannot. There's legal stuff prohibiting them from doing it, but of course they're doing it because, boom, in comes Mr. Immortal. He is the erstwhile leader of the team who has had some trouble over the last year or so. Um, He's been drinking, he's trying to get himself sober by 
as you would do burying yourself underground and going fully, uh, fully clean. He's come back to them, but not everybody's super happy about it. While that's going on, the rest of the team is trying to investigate uh, a case that they're on. We've got the newest member, the youngest member, um, whose name I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, Good boy. What's that? She she gets her name in this issue. She said she wants to be when when she's in her dog form. She wants to be called Good Boy. Not her necessarily just her dog form. Her fursona as yeah, her fursona sorry f-u-r-s-o-n-a and because i don't want to be put on any watch lists i haven't googled that to see if that's a real thing but i'm gonna assume it is um which there's a whole bunch of cool things going on with her and big bertha and um good boys story is something i'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of but we get to see um someone who was pivotal to Flatman's early years come back into the picture um I, I love this team coming together and i think zach and the team are really finding their voice on the uh, on the story so far we got another guide to the marvel cinematic universe out this week covering agents of shield season three and agent carter season two so they're getting pretty close up to where they uh where they need to be to be present with these these uh cinematic guidebooks but as always the cool thing with these is they show you what happened on the movies, or in this case, the TV shows, and how they compare to the comics. Lots of cool information, great facts uh, from the team doing those. Yeah. All right, big... Wait, wait, before, before, before we move on, I was going to say I'm already on a bunch of watch lists, um, but I was gone. <laughs> I, I had to do something earlier, so whatever you were saying you needed to search, I'll search it for you. Oh, great. Thanks, Tommy. <laughs> well, I can always count on you to pick up the slack. <laughs> Um, back to the I'm a criminal. <laughs> Let's not, you know, sort of put yourself in any deeper hole. Um, and the next issue is Hulk number one, big launch for us this week, uh, written by Mariko Tamaki, art by Nico Leone, colors by Matt Mila. And this, you know, it, it, during Civil War II, uh, Jen Walters, she, she got hurt really badly. She was in a coma. She was you know, in the that big fight against Thanos that uh, killed James Rhodes, and it took a very long time for her to come out of it. And she's come out the other side, but she's changed. She's dealing with a lot of trauma um, from the incident, from her recovery, from the death of Bruce Banner, her cousin, from just the state of the world, which I think speaks to a lot of us and, and the way we feel just in general. But sounds she, like her trauma is causing a lot of drama. Oh, Ben. Well done. Um, but she needs to get up and get moving and find some balance in her life. So she's back to work. She's now working at, uh, I think this is a, well, I don't know. I don't want to say it's fully a new law firm, but it's not the law firm, uh, either of the last two law firms she was at. No, it's a new com- uh, fancy yeah. one. I'm comfortable saying it's a new law firm. That's a twin promise. Um, so she's got, uh, she's got an office and she already has a first client, which starts to unravel a whole bunch of things going on. Her client has got some, you know, problems. She has trouble leaving the house and she's, you know, being evicted, but she can't do that. We do sort of scale back and see that this law firm has not just your regular everyday clientele. We see the waiting room and there's just, there's so much to unpack here. And I hope we get to learn more about the characters in this waiting room. There's like this posh gentleman in a, a 
aquatic chair is the best I can describe it. There's an invisible person. There's some sort of maybe alien person, multiple alien people, a person with a bag over her head, and then uh, a person in what seems to be a thing suit, like a Ben Grimm suit. It's it's all very interesting. I'm excited is, is to learn that, more. Is that what's her face from? Uh, no, 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 Matt, no, 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 not. different. Different thing wearing, thing suit wearing person. Correct. It's the most intriguing waiting room since Beetlejuice. <laughs> That's fair to say. Um, but we see that Jen is not okay. She's still dealing very much with all the things uh, around her, but she's doing what any of us are trying to do: is just move forward, deal with the pain, the chaos, the craziness, and and figure it out. Uh, and then we flip back to her client, and we see that there's something. Very strange going on there. But this was a great issue. Christine, you liked it too, right? I loved it. Um, also, just how how she copes, and it's a very um, human, like what you know we all do when we're trying to move forward. You know, like she has to talk herself out of leaving the house, and then just using baking videos to calm herself, you know, to tame the inner beast. And she's really struggling with that. Um especially moving away from when, you know, she was always in her shield persona. But this book had her the whole time in the Jen Walters persona. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because we do sort of see her hook out a little bit and mm-hmm. it looks like that's not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next book is Infamous Iron Man number three, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Alex Malev and Matt Hollingsworth. And the first story page of this book the first two are of a character i did not expect to see show up a character from uh infamous iron man aka dr doom's past which completely surprised me then we flash back to uh the main story which has uh dr doom kind of sassy kind of just nonchalant about things fighting thing um there's just funny interactions but they fight doom surprisingly takes a powder, and he takes Dr., uh, I believe her name, Dr. Amara? Is that right? Confirmed. 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 Uh, Yeah, Amara Pereira uh, takes her with him. They they escape there. They escape away from the thing, and S.H.I.E.L.D., who's tracking her to get to Dr. Doom, uh, and they have this great conversation, which really sheds a whole lot of light on what's going on with Doom's head right now, and it ties hugely into Secret Wars from last year, which we loved. I still, I, I like, I want to do a reread of Secret Wars, even though, like this week, we had to read 28 comics <laughs> for this issue. I don't really have the time, but uh, especially in light of what's going on this in this particular issue, uh, it's awesome. It's, it's cool to see where Doom's head is and how he's gotten to the point where he's at. And really, like, he's probably really sincere about things, which is a very strange place for Dr. Doom to be in when he's a good guy. And Ryan, you were talking earlier about Javier Rodriguez and what he did with the double page spreads in uh, mm-hmm. Sorcerer Supreme. What Alex Maleev does in this issue with the double page black and white flashbacks to Secret Wars is killer. Tremendous. 
tremendous, tremendous stuff. It's really gorgeous. Another book that's really gorgeous is, of course, Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man versus Sinister Six, number six. Oh, my God. It's at last the secret origin of Agent Venom. That means we are getting the origin of Agent Venom. We get some Scarlet Spider. We get, man, all sorts of Spider-Man goodness around here. It's adapting the hit series uh marvel's ultimate spider-man and it's all done by our buddy joe caramagna we wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors wait what oh no i'm just saying that that's just the thing i say sometimes okay cool doesn't mean anything you know what time it is strami time hey do i get to talk about max ride now you sure do all right max ride uh final flight issue 405 which means that it is the penultimate issue. I just really like to say the word penultimate, so I try and work in where I can. Um, This is the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the third Max Flight series, right? Correct. Yes. Max Ride series. What did I say? Max Flight. Oh, Max Ride. Sorry. Yeah, Max Ride, Final Flight. Uh, This issue not gonna lie i have not read any of max ride before but it is uh i'm trying to pull up the credits now as we speak i know it's written by jody hauser drawn by marco faya with colors by rochelle rosenberg and irma canivola you're doing great love, Shami. i'm sure yeah there's love up there's partially there. some of those names might be pronounced yeah correctly. speak with more confidence mark anyway it seems like uh max maximum ride has met someone who claims to be her mother uh and it's all teeing up sort of towards some uh revelations about her own past and her mission so far uh, there are some more revelations about some of the people that she's been working with um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, for someone who had not actually read one of these before, it was a fun ride, you could say. <laughs> I got, I got my max <laughs> enjoyment out of it, you could say. You're it awful. made me, it you. made me want to take a flight to <clears throat> Minnesota. I'm trailing here. Anyway, it was a good time. Uh, and yeah, that's that. Come back for the. I assume the next issue is going to be like the conclusion of the series. Again, speak with confidence, Strami. You know what you're saying. It seems like the next issue is going to be the conclusion of the series. So check in if you haven't. Uh, and if you have, you know what you're into. One series that's not concluding is Mighty Thor, which is only on issue number 14, written by Jason Aaron beautiful art by Steve Epting, colors by Frank Martin. Holy balls, this is a great issue. Um, It starts off with the new curse's identity being revealed, and that's just the first awesome thing that happens. The new Thor fights the new curse. Loki is being all shady and trying to play both sides against the middle. Angela gets an awesome moment. Uh, Agent Roz Solomon gets attacked by a giant bat in her flying car, and like I said, Angela gets to jump in and do a little action there. Lady Sif gets some cool cool business. The giant on the team gets some cool business. The dwarf and the troll on the team get some cool business. There's just crazy action going on. And Malketh just being the worst, just the absolute worst villain in the universe. He's got this poor 
uh, Queen of the Light Elves, who we brainwashed into marrying him. She now has her free will back. He does something awful to her. He's an awful villain. He's just the type of guy you can't root for in any shape. But getting to see Steve Aptine draw all these different forms, all these different characters, uh, beautiful splash at the end with Thor standing triumphantly, uh, and the new curse again, just a character with so much potential, and this world building that Jason Aaron's doing continues to just be something, a spectacle to behold month after month. If he's such an awful villain, wouldn't you say that he's actually a great villain? Yes, he's great at being a villain, Strami. You are correct. Crushing it, Strami. Doing great. Just also like doing you, great is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 14, written by Brandon Montclair and Amy Reader. Art on this issue by Ray Anthony Height, colors by Tamara Bonvalain. And this is a little bit, it starts out with a big heart-to-heart from Thing, Ben Grimm, to Lunella Lafayette. Uh, they're on Yancey Street. She's a local, uh, and he's trying to talk to her about, you know, living the way she lives, and he has some experience with very smart people. Uh, talking about Reed Richards, Obvs, and he's trying to help her out, but of course, Amadeus Cho shows up, and there is like 12, 15 pages of Hulk and Thing just beating the snot out of each other. I this is the feel- first meeting between these two. That's, ooh, ooh. It's the, first, like- it's the first new Hulk versus Thing fight. Very nice. I feel like this is almost like a way for Brandon and Amy to write a Hulk versus thing fight. They figured out this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. And they did it. But, uh, the fight is stopped because Lunella has to be smarter and, uh, more thoughtful than either of them. She's able to take care of it in at least some way, shape or form. But while she's doing that, someone else is paying attention to her and has, uh, has some thoughts about her place in the Marvel universe. We'll see that come together soon. All right. Up next is the Prowler number three, written by Sean Ryan, art by uh, Javier Sol- Javier Salteris and Jamal Campbell, with letters by um, Corey Petit, and it's uh, a clone conspiracy tie-in. So, if you are not reading clone conspiracy and don't want to get spoiled on some of the things, although at this point that's gonna be tough. Like that stuff is <laughs> everywhere. It's a conspiracy of clones. Uncle Ben is the jackal. Oh. Strami. Now, now. Um, With the Prowler, he is in a bad way. He does not have his medication. He is one of the uh, conspirating clones, uh, and he has been uh, beaten up, electrocuted, and almost killed by the new Electro um, while he was trying to talk to and capture Jessica... Not Jessica Drew. um, What's her name? Julia Carpenter. Julia Carpenter. Thank you, Ben. You're always there when I need you. Um... Prowler is getting his butt kicked, and he's trying to get away from Electro. He's trying to outsmart her any way he can. There's just, just this fight. And talk about those villains. Like, Electro, has, this new Electro, has already killed Prowler once. She is going to try and kill him again for no other reason than she's just a jerk. She's just a piece of garbage. And Yeah, she's, she's a really jerky villain. Yeah, she's just... She's the worst. Uh, yep. But Prowler is way smarter than her and has figured out how he can try to beat her, but will it be too late? Who knows? Thankfully, Julia Carpenter is a really good person. Um, she's like the opposite of Electro, and there's more to come for Mr. Prowler. Just getting started is Rocket Raccoon with a new number one issue, written by Matthew Rosenberg, 
crazy art by Jorge Coelho, who does stuff I've never seen him do before here. Uh, gorgeous colors by Antonio Fabella. And we don't always say who the letterer is, but if their name is Jeff Eckleberry, I always want to say their name. Uh, so Jeff <laughs> Eckleberry did the letters on this. Uh, Rocket is stuck on Earth. He hates it. He thinks this is the worst. And he is... Behaving, he's he's in Times Square. He's behaving like a raccoon. He's going dumpster diving for food. Uh, he's <laughs> hanging out with homeless guys. He is robbing like a burger joint, um, and he is just basically causing all this chaos. The cops come after him on the subway. Uh, he fights off the New York police department he gets j- grabbed up by johnny storm who doesn't really know who he is and rocket doesn't really know who johnny storm is so they have this interesting conversation uh in the in, in johnny storm's like dorm room in new adeline which is just covered with old pizza boxes and old chinese food boxes it's tremendous uh johnny storm does not really impart any wisdom on rocket Rocket goes and meets up with an old alien buddy. He wants to get off of the planet. He'll do whatever it takes. He goes to uh, someone who has a secret. And then that someone who has a secret gets attacked by some weirdo. And it's just craziness, man. It's exactly, it's very different from the Rocket Raccoon books we've had in the past. But it's exactly what you want from a Rocket Raccoon book. Just pure chaos distilled into a funny, cool adventure book. Uh, is, Is anyone else here familiar with the film the great outdoors starring john candy and dan Aykroyd? vaguely i haven't seen it in a long time i remember they ate uh rocky mountain oysters yes uh (laughs) there's a fantastic bit about hot dogs and raccoons dumpster diving for hot dogs that i hope one day works itself into a rocket raccoon comic while he is wandering around Times square we can only hope you get a rotten pretzel. That was a weird looking pretzel. I would not have yeah. eaten that, but you know something was up with that pretzel. Yeah. Beggars can't be choosers at this point. Right. Speaking of beggars, Strami. Yeah. Hey. All right. So I assume we're going alphabetical. So I'm on Spider-Man number eleven by uh, Brian Bendis and Sarah Pacelli. Um, Strami, we're all so glad we took the time to make this document that you can follow <laughs> for all your cues. I'm in a car. It was definitely not a waste of all my time today. I have no (laughs) Wi-Fi. I have a printed copy right next to me. I I don't have a printer. I don't know how to... It's a miracle I figured out how it works Skype, okay? Give me that much. Um, uh, Spider-Man, number 11. This is one of those books where, to sort of truly summarize the issue, would be to spoil the issue. Uh, but needless to say, Miles's dad, he gets recruited for a mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. He has to drop off a, um, if, if anyone listening remembers MGH from years ago, uh, the mutant growth hormone that uh, pe- everyday people could take and then develop superpowers. Basically, the bad guys in the Marvel Universe have figured out how to do something similar, but with Terrigen mist and Terrigen crystals. So the idea being that you anyone can take this drug and essentially develop superpowers from it. Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. enlists Miles' dad for this mission. He's supposed to deliver uh, a sample of this inhuman Terrigen MGH drug to a crime lord. 
Um, and then he goes there, and things quickly go awry, but then things go awry-er, and then there's a twist, and that's all I can say. But it's very good. It sort of sets up... I, I can't remember the last time... And in fact, I don't think we have really had such like a, a major spotlight on Miles's dad since his introduction. Uh, this issue's really all about him, all about him sort of just wanting to do the right thing. You can see a lot of where Miles gets his moral compass from in seeing how his dad behaves. Um, Back when it was still Ultimate Spider-Man, we had a great two-part story flashing back to Miles Morales' dad's uh, younger years. And he kind of, this was kind of the bookend to that. So it was cool that Bendis got to revisit some ground that he already walked on a little bit. All right. So I take that back. We have seen some of that. And yeah, screw you, Strami. Comic scholar Benjamin J. Morse is here to set me straight. Um, but, but yeah, no one's going to set you straight, Strami. No hey. one. It's it's a nice if if you're curious about the book, this is seems like a nice jumping on point. At least it did to me, uh, given that I have not read the previous ten issues. Um, or if you're a fan already, then it sort of gives you insight into a major character from the series that you didn't really have before. All right. And that's not all the Spider-Man we've got this week, because we've got Spider-Man Deadpool number 12, written by a friend of the show, Paul Shear, along with his partner, Nick Giovanetti, art by my buddy Todd Knock, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. This book is what I would call effortlessly hilarious in that it just rifles off joke after joke and they're all landing. Uh, We have a guy who looks like but might not be Santa Claus beheading the fake Santa Claus on the first page, which takes us right into a big Avengers double page spread of an Avengers Christmas party or holiday party if you prefer. Let's be clear. It's not just a guy who looks like could be Santa Claus. It's like (laughs) sexy, barely clothed, Egyptian Santa Claus, yeah. Yeah. With a a scythe. Is that how you say it? Scythe? Scythe? He has a scythe? Scythe. Um, We got poor Spider- That's what my mother always told me Santa Claus looked like. Are you telling me that's not what Nope, that's no, it's dead on. Uh, we okay. got Spider Man sitting outside this Avengers party I was alluding to. We got the Avengers holiday party going on. Double page spread, just full of great visual gags and uh, actual gags with making fun of Steve Rogers for being old. Uh, they stole that from Marvel superheroes. What the? And I totally appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I, I gotta say that Steve Rogers giving Miles a vacuum and amazing. that being a joke was yep. offensive to me because really. I love vacuums. In -hmm. fact, I bought a vacuum for our family down here in Baton Rouge because they needed a good vacuum, so I got them a little nice little something-something. But I have two Dysons at home. Beautiful machines. So you're like the Steve Rogers of of the podcast. Gladly be that. You're just kind of living in a world that's passed you by. 100%. (laughs) Just trying to go. Anyways, that's that's only the start of all this. We've got uh, Hawkeye gets kicked out of the party because, or no, Deadpool gets kicked out of the party. Excuse me, because he buys an inappropriate gift for Hawkeye. He hooks up with Spider Man. They're like, "Hey, man, let's go around." And but this point, sexy Santa Claus is beheaded like a whole bunch of more fake Santas, and he's wreaking all this havoc and carnage. So not the characters' havoc and carnage. Um, Deadpool and Spider Man try to put a stop to it. 
He grows giant size. He does all these things. I just, I, I can't, I would be here all night if I wanted to read all the jokes on every page that I thought were hilarious. But uh, they learned that there's more than meets the eye to this Santa. Uh, he's not really Santa. I'm not going to say who he really is. But they decide that the only way to win him back is to show him the, ma- the magic of Christmas. Um, and the magic of Christmas, in this case, is going to a Rockettes show, uh, racing carriages through New York City, um, drinking energy drinks that were made by Deadpool, and then going to seedy gambling dens to uh, conclude the night. Just every freaking page is funny. The the Santa, his, one of his last lines is, Ha, I can't believe I lost a pinky. Epic night, bros. And that's kind of emblematic of the humor and joy that you get throughout this. And there's a really nice moment between Spider-Man and Deadpool at the end that just cements why they're such a great buddy team. And then, just in case you wanted it, there's more Steve Rogers finishing off the book, talking more about the vacuum. So, Ryan, there you go. You get more vacuum love to uh, finish things off. Yeah. No, I was what, like, what, I what get a it. book. I understand. Book. Yeah, it's beautiful. I What a work of art. Love it. So good. Cool. So now we have Spider-Woman 14. And it's uh, another issue where our, our hero has to deal with like trauma and how to cope with it. And I think that's the theme for the week that all of my favorite books this week are all of our, our women dealing and you know being brave and getting out there. So this one is about Jessica Drew. She had just gotten to a fight with the Hobgoblin in the last issue, and he actually um, does like the worst to her. He kills off her friend Roger. You know, in the porcupine suit. Uh, it still hurts. It's... It does. And it's just this whole, like, episode, uh, issue where she finds out that he was in love with her. And it was one-sided, and she had no idea. Like, she thought, oh, it's just my friend. And she kind of just goes on this tear. She allows Captain Marvel to watch over the baby, even though they're still icy with each other. Um, and she just goes out searching for answers. Um, and um, it's just really hard because you, you see like the pain that she's dealing with knowing that this person was just you know she never asked him to you know do her laundry and all that stuff but seeing that he left his you know his own family to, to help her the uh, scene with sense. jess and uh porcupine's ex-wife that ben yurik walks into and kind of explains to jessica just mm-hmm. rang so it was just a hard scene to read. It was like, oh my god, this these feel like real people who you're friends with. Right, and it's like these people who you didn't know hated you so much because you didn't think anything of it. So it's just like, I feel like it, it just like prolongs the pain in her moving on. And um, and uh, we have to see who kind of a- attacks her at the end. It's kind of someone who is not honoring the me- memory of her friend. If um, if this isn't one of your favorite books after reading this issue or these last couple issues, then I just don't understand. Yeah, there's something wrong with you. I love Jessica Drew so much, and it's, you know, I see why she escaped to like the other dimensions where she's like, I just want to be like a normal woman, hanging out with my kid, but also sometimes having Roger take care of my kids so I can just remember what my life was before I was a mom. Mm. Yeah, so the next story that we have is Star Wars 26. And it's, it's a doozy of an uh, issue where 
you know, our one of our favorite droids, C-3PO, was kidnapped by on a ship with Darth Vader. And it's kind of um, the whole crew on Princess Leia and Luke make the decision of, you know, like, do we risk it all? Can we, can we take on Darth Vader and everyone to save our friend? Is he really a friend when he's just a droid? It's just kind of, you know, Luke grappling with who he wants to go save him, but they kind of talk him out of it. But um, R2 kind of pushes him out there by disabling his machine, and he goes out on his own to save his best friend. And I think, um, you know, in this whole conflicted feelings, Luke goes and consults the, a journal from Ben Kenobi, and we just see this really cool story of Yoda saving a Jedi and taking down this whole mess of just pirates. And everyone's always like, oh, how did he do that? And he's on this whole mission himself. And we find out that he ends up on a planet with a bunch of children. And it's this force calling him that this is a mission that he can only do by himself. We got two really good Star Wars stories in one issue. And great, great, great stuff. But also... uh, can't help but be a little bit sad Carrie Fisher passed away at the time of this recording it was yesterday um, and 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 literally three months ago I found out Debbie Reynolds also passed away oh my god one day apart uh, for those of you who don't know Debbie Reynolds was Carrie Fisher's mom uh, man it's brutal uh, uh, you know a story about love and friendship in it family and friendship and it carries out to real life as well yes it does uh speaking of love and friendship we've got thunderbolts number eight written by jim zub art by uh john mallon colors by matt yaki and here we've got thunderbolts breaking into a shield facility to free their pal and their leader their bucky uh and they got to go through all kinds of defenses they brought uh, songbird uh, back into their fold she's part of this whole thing they have a lot of fun banter there's great bits especially atlas is becoming my breakout favorite character in this book he's just he's like a good dude you want to hang out with um while that's going on kobik is back at thunderbolts headquarters she is she's alone or is she there's some really creepy stuff that could be happening there, uh, but the Thunderbolts have to go up against Steve Rogers in order to get to Winter Soldier, and things don't exactly turn out as you'd expect them to for the Thunderbolts or for Captain America. Over on the other side of town, we've got Uncanny Avengers number 18, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Kevin Labranda, colors by David Curiel. We start out with Rogue Sawman because Doc- Professor Xavier wants to let her join the X-Men. It's a flashback to when she first did it. Then it flashes forward violently to Professor Xavier having his brain torn out by Red Skull and Red Skull being all eating the brain, like really on the nose here. Um, So Red Skull is using his psychic powers that he stole from Professor X to torment Rogue uh, and some of the other members of the Uncanny Avengers. He set up the old Avengers mansion, which has been established in this book. It's now a theme hotel with people dressed up as heroes. Red Skull's there. His daughter Sin is there. Uh, they have taken over Quicksilver's brain, and they're using him to try to take out the rest of the team. We see Brother Voodoo, Doctor Voodoo, Human Torch, 
um, Wasp all get attacked, and it leaves us with just Cable, Rogue, and Deadpool. Cable knows what's up, so he sends Rogue away and tries to string a trap for Quicksilver. Uh, Rogue and Deadpool end up being the last two standing, and then Rogue gives Deadpool a mission, which he reacts pretty funnily to, uh, and then Rogue goes after Red Skull, and something happens that is twisty and crazy, and uh, man, Red Skull is the worst villain of them all. I think we've discussed this before, and any story where you get to see Red Skull just being his most evil is a lot of fun, and uh, these heroes are really up against it. Is someone over there like putting together a gun? What is that all, that racket? Strami, I'm looking at you. My mom may have gone back in the car with our dinner. <laughs> you can, you know, there's a mute button on a phone that allows you to do things, even on Skype. What? But how do you spell it? What's next? Oh God, it's Strami. <laughs> it's me, Uncanny and Humans number seventeen, by Charles Soule and uh, R.B. Silva. I do not have it on me, so apologies to the rest of the creators. Uh, this follows up on actually a plotline from early on in Charles Soule's uh, All New and Humans run uh, from a year or two ago, back when Medusa sent um, the characters whose names I'm going to forget off the top of my head, but the cop and the green-looking woman. Frank McGee and Oron. Frank McGee and Oron off to uh, find Black Bolt because he was missing at the time. She died, Oron, and uh, her twin daughters managed to convince Reader to essentially read her back into existence. But that didn't work out so well because she's sort of this weird hodgepodge of memories and she actually manages to take Black Bolt's uh, voice, his powers from him. So what we essentially get is a full issue of just Black Bolt being able to talk, which I'm pretty sure he has said like 100 times more words in this single issue than he has in the past 50 years. So it was interesting to see him be able to talk through his process of how he's able to control his voice and just how much effort that takes when you consider that something as simple as like a hiccup or a slight cough could level, you know, a city. Um, it was fascinating stuff. It really was compelling. I, I was trying to think basically what would I do if I couldn't make any noise and once it, it, it completely changes once you're consciously aware that you can't make any noise like it's one right. thing if you're on a quiet train and you're just kind of not paying attention but if someone says to you okay you can't speak it's just such a freaking game changer um and it's really i was so uncomfortable reading this issue Strami, please take over well no and and there was also just this sort of i mean the 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 issue is very action, 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 action. You know, they're sort of dealing with the crisis. They don't have much time to sit around and for Black Bolt to just sort of be like, here's everything I've ever wanted to say type thing. But once, no, there's no time. There's no time. But there is a very, very, very small moment at the end where he is able to just directly uh, address Medusa and once everything's sort of been sorted out and 
he has like literally maybe 15 seconds to say like everything he's probably wanted to say over the course of I don't know how many decades to her. And once you read that scene and realize that that's what he's trying to compact into that one small thing he says, it's sort of heart-wrenching when you really think about their relationship. You know what's heart-wrenching for me is that I've now got to talk about X-Men 92, number 10. It's heart-wrenching because it's the final issue. And I love this book. Uh, it's written by Chad Bowers and Chris Sims. The art's by Alti Fermansaya and Corey Hampshire. Colors by Matt Mila and Dono Sanchez Amara. Uh, if you missed what's been going on with this book so far, uh, it's almost impossible to catch you up. But they crammed like just so much over-the-top 90s goodness into this final issue. It's everything that if you were reading comics in 1992, you loved. We've got bearded Cyclops in the future in 2099 with Jean Grey leading the X-Men 2099 against Punisher 2099, Spider-Man 2099, Hulk 2099, Ravage 2099, and Ghost Rider 2099. And then Doom shows up and he transports them back to the present day with the Darkhold. And you've got Vivisector and you've got Sync and you've got Dupe and you've got all this madness. You have Apocalypse who is come to the X-Men and said, look, I have gathered all of your villains together, Exodus, the upstarts, the whole gang, Fabian Cortez with his dopey hair. Um, I've got them all together because we need to defeat this Celestial who is coming to destroy the Earth. The X-Men are like, okay, we can dig that. We can get behind you. Joseph shows up. Uh, Mystique shows up. But then X-Force, led by Cable, with his gun that just looks like a giant microwave, come and try to destroy Apocalypse. And now all of a sudden it's the X-Men trying to save Apocalypse. And X-Factor gets in on the madness. You got a multiple man versus Deadpool fight. You have Apocalypse coming up with this plan to turn every human on Earth into a mutant to scare away the Celestial who's going to destroy them. You got Wolverine not wearing his costume but wearing his classic checkered shirt. Uh, and fur-lined jacket from the 90s he, that he wore in every episode of X-Men the Animated Series. The reunion with Cyclops and Jean Grey and Cable. Ugh, heartwarming. Um, you've got Dead Girl showing up saying, I think I know what we need to do. Remember how we turned all the vampires into humans? We can turn all the humans into mutants. Uh, there's a huge sacrifice being made. We get cameos by Excalibur and Punisher and Doom and... Black Panther and Silver Samurai and some characters I think are Russian. I'm not quite sure. A final nice moment between Rogue and Gambit, Jubilee and Chamber. Deadpool shows up and swings a gun around for no apparent reason. There's a group shot of all these humans coming to say like, yo, we are down with becoming mutants so this can all work. Uh, Forge is there for some reason. That that Darkhold dwarf is there. There's, a like I said, a mighty sacrifice. And then the issue ends on a cliffhanger but the whole book's titled earth x it's brilliant my hat is off to the gentleman who wrote this it's a masterpiece it was so i'm I'm, I'm a little unclear ben how do you feel about 90s x-men comics and uh, cartoons? this was this was just a love letter straight to my heart what a way to end that series so seriously good. going out going out with a bang and i gotta congratulate the three of you and myself, for doing 28 comics in just about an hour. Is that the most we've ever done? I think it's the most we've ever done. Ugh. It's a thank, thank you all for being a part of this. We did it. We did it. Now it's time to pick our twim of the week. I'll go first. Uh, I'm going to pick Hulk number one. 
I will go second, and I will give honorable mention to Mighty Thor and also X-Men 92, which, of course, I just gushed over, uh, as well as Spider-Woman. But my pick of the week is the hilarious Spider-Man Deadpool number 12. I would also love Hulk number one, but I guess I will have to go with Black Widow number nine. Uh, I I will go with... I'm going to go with Black Widow number nine as well. Wow. I like how Christine was like, you know what? I'm not going to double pick something. I'm going to also... I'm going to say I love this one book, but I'm going to give my pick to something else. Where Stromy was like, no, I'm just going to double pick. Her sacrifice immediately cheapened by Stromy. All right, fine. I'll give it. I'll give it to the other Jason Aaron book of the week, Star Wars Twenty Six. Fair enough. All right. All right, guys. Now that we've gotten through comics, it's time to talk about collections on sale. We've got out this week: Avengers, Endless Wartime, Heroes of Power, The Women of Marvel, Marvel Treasury Edition, Invincible uh, Iron Man. That the that Women of Power book is super giant size. A Treasury mm-hmm. Edition means it's super super big. Um, and it's got a bunch of like first appearances and early stories for some of our Women of Marvel. Yep. We've also got Invincible Iron Man Volume 1 Reboot, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Volume 2 Cosmic Cooties, New Avengers Volume 3 Civil War 2, Nighthawk Hate Makes Hate, Nova Volume 2 Afterburn, Spider-Woman Volume 2, Shifting Gears Civil War 2, Spidey Volume 2, we love that book, After School Special, Star Wars Legends Epic Collection Clone Wars Volume 1, Thunderbolts Volume 1, There Is No High Road, and Totally Awesome Hulk Volume 2, Civil War 2. Totally. Plus, we've got digital comics on sale this week. Most of the books we talked about um, earlier, I think the um, the one of the Deadpool Too Soon uh, is not available digitally because it's already been produced as an infinite comic. We also have a new infinite comic out this week, Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mix number five, which those have been really fun, sort of animation universe-ish inspired books. They're they're a lot of fun to read. Uh, Plus on the Marvel app this week, we've got Dr. Voodoo Avenger of the Supernatural one through five, Doom the Emperor Returns one through three, Excalibur issues 83 through 95 from the original run, and Thunderbolts number 100. Christine, why don't you tell us what digital collections are on sale this week? We have Heroes of Power, The Woman of Marvel, all new Marvel Treasury Edition. Am I reading the right list? Okay. Yeah, you're uh, right. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur Volume 2, Cosmic Cuties. New Avengers uh, AIM, Volume 3, Civil War 2. Nighthawk Hate. Hate Makes Hate, we have Nova, The Human Rocket, Volume 2, Afterburn, Spider Woman, uh, Shifting Years, Volume 2, Civil War 2, okay, uh, Spidey, Volume 2, After School Special, Star Wars Legends, Epic Collection, The Clone Wars, Volume 1, The Totally Awesome Hulk, Volume 2, Civil War 2, Thunderbolts, Volume 1, There Is No High Road, Internals, Manifest Destiny, Marble Knights 4, Volume 1, Wolf at the Door, Marble Knights 4, Volume 2, The Stuff of Nightmares, Extreme X-Men Volume 7, Storm, the Arena, and Extreme X-Men Volume 8, Prisoner of Fire. Strami, would I be correct in assuming you still do not have access to the dock? You would not be incorrect. All right. Well, with that being said, I will read the freshly digitized comics on Marvel Unlimited. We've got Captain America, Sam Wilson, number 10, Carnage, number 9, Civil War 2, Choosing Sides, number 1, Code of Honor, number 1 through 4, Deadpool v. Gambit, number 1, Doctor Strange, number 9, Drax, number 8, Guidebook to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1, 
Gwenpool number three, Marvel Adventures Superheroes number two, Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man Contest of Champions number four, Mighty Thor number eight, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number eight, Mort the Dead Teenager number one through four, Miss Marvel number eight, New Mutants, the original 1983 series issues number 55 through 59, 61, 86, 88 through 97, Nighthawk number two, Power Man and Iron Fist number five, Punisher 2099 number 13, Ravage 2099 number 15, both Fall of the Hammer crossover issues, Rocket Raccoon and Groot number six, Scarlet Witch number seven, Spider-Man 2099 from the original 1992 series, issues 11 through 22, as well as Annual number one, Star Wars The Force Awakens adaptation number one, Thor Annual number one from 2000, Totally Awesome Hulk number seven, Ultimates number eight, Uncanny Avengers number 10, and Web Warriors number eight. Dang, yo, that's a, that's a whole lot of something. All right. Um, a lot of new comics out this week. A lot of collections, a lot of good stuff. Um, maybe not so much news, but I think it's time for news. And now, from Marvel headquarters, it's This Week in Marvel News! Ben, what do we got for news? We do not have a lot of news. It's uh, the holiday week, so it was a little scarce. But, but... Because they're in Canada and they don't celebrate any holidays, uh, the nice folks at Kabam, Contest of Champions, worked through everything and put out Howard the Duck as a new playable character. So that's that's a pretty good thing to carry our news section this week. Totally, and Howard is very hard to get, which is a bummer. Cause Sorry really to hear. Him. It's all right. You'll get him. Christine, Stromy, we don't need to throw to you guys today. Is there any news that you can share? We posted a Legion um, art asset on Twitter today. Ooh, what was it? Flower. Uh, a very mutant-like uh, flower. One of those uh, visual teasers that we've been releasing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you just have to look at it a certain way. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, before we get to a special edition of our questions and comments, just want to remind you guys that this episode is brought to you by Loot Crate. Loot Crate is launching its second Marvel Gear and Goods Crate, which serves up a ton of really cool stuff featuring your favorite minds from the Marvel Universe here to outfit your lab, aka your kitchen, in true heroic fashion. The crate, the crate, not Groot, not crude. I made up a new word. Somebody write that down. We're going to trademark it. The crate will be filled with home goods and unique apparel featuring Iron Man, Hulk, Ant-Man, Spider-Man, and Black Panther, and is an over $80 value for just $39.99. Uh, give your kitchen the Marvel upgrade at your lootcrate.com slash Marvel and use promo code MARVELPOD, M-A-R-V-E-L-P-O-D, to save $3 off your first Marvel Gear and Goods subscription today. Reminder, you can watch one of the latest episodes, Not the, I think it's the second to last episode of Thwip, the big Marvel show, to see one of the items from the crate, which is an awesome MODOK mold, so you can pour stuff into him, and you get a little mold of MODOK, which I need to get a couple of them, because I want to use them as, uh, like, ice molds, so I could just put MODOK in my drinks. That would make me happy. That's so disturbing. Ah, uh, think about it, Astrami. You want it. Now, and on that note, I actually have to bounce early. Of course you do. Strami, what is your favorite Marvel moment of 2016? Oh, crap. Um, 
Well, now you just put me on the... You know what? I'll say my favorite Marvel moment was at New York Comic Con when we got to see all of the Defenders on stage together for the first time, and we brought out Sigourney Weaver, announcing that she was going to be uh, playing the villain in the sh- in the series. Nice. Well said. Yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you, Strami. We'll hear Thank- from you in 2017. Thanks for nothing, Strami. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> All right. As Strami says goodbye, we say hello. So we did a little special thing for this final episode of This Week of Marvel. Normally, this was going to be our Twim URC episode where we talked about Wolverine or Kitty Pride and Wolverine, cool limited series from the 80s. Um, but being this is the last episode of the year, we thought, why don't we find out what all the fans uh, loved in 2016, what their favorite Marvel moments are. So we put out a call on Twitter. We got... A ton of responses. Uh, ben, you want to start us off reading some of these? Sure thing. We got Brandon Hawks at Brandon Hawks saying, "My favorite Marvel moment of 2016 would have to be both Doctor Strange movie and seeing the Spider-Man movie trailer." Black Jones said, "Captain America: Civil War made it for me this year." Carolyn Pottig says, "Everything Luke Cage, Spider-Man: Homecoming trailer, and Guardians of the Galaxy trailer." Pedro Tavares says X-Men 92, Ultimates, all of Deadpool's books, and the Netflix series. And then Robert, RCST, says Marvel Unlimited is always a great point. After that was the first time I saw Spidey, Web Grab, Cap Shield, then Doctor Strange movie. Mm. Our pal Simon Williams, he had a bunch that he wanted to add to this list. He says best authors of 2016 are ta Coates, David Walker, and Chelsea Kane. His surprise hit of 2016, uh, his surprise hits, plural, were Mockingbird and Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat. His most shocking moment of 2016. We got to give Simon some money because this is like this is like classic, you know. Yeah, he's web- doing he's doing our work for us. This is this is straight up good good list stuff right here, Simon. Thank you. Uh, he says uh, most shocking moment of 2016: the death of War Machine in Civil War Two. Best single issue of 2016 was Captain America: Sam Wilson number 15. All series should have at least one pro wrestling issue. Cannot agree more. Agreed, hundred percent. Christine, where do you stand on pro wrestling? Um, I appreciate the theatrics, but I don't have a key player in my life just yet. <laughs> just yet. You're going to leave your heart open. Well said. Ever since The Rock retired, I don't know who to move on to. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Simon continues. He says the best. Uh, um, he says the most heartbreaking moment of 2016 was the death of Porcupine and Spider-Man, Spider-Woman number 13. Agreed. Biggest Marvel TV news of 2016, the announcement of Season 2 of Luke Cage. His favorite Marvel TV show of 2016, Luke Cage. About Everything about this series was on point, he says. Biggest Marvel movie news of 2016, Black Panther casting. What And he says, what famous black actor isn't in this movie? Hashtag Black Panther so lit. <laughs> Uh, his best Marvel movie of 2016 is Captain America Civil War, one of the best movies in the MCU. His favorite books of 2016 are Black Panther, Captain America Sam Wilson, Power Man and Iron Fist, and The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. That is a rock-solid list right there. Christine, why don't you take the next couple? Okay, I think I see uh, a William, too, at W3XS. He wrote Dramamu, I Came to Bargain. Mike Fantry wrote, How at the Death uh, Reunites with Beverly? Give me more. Princess M says, The moment Tony saw the video of his parents being murdered by Bucky. Damn. 
Christopher Bailey, uh, Emma Frost karate chopping Black Bolt in the effing throat. <laughs> Gavin Perkins says the beatable Squirrel Girl beats up the Marvel Universe by far my new favorite comic graphic novel of all time. Uh, so good. Uh, Have either of you read that? Because it's not a regular. No, not yet. Oh, you gotta read it. It is so good. <laughs> is it on Marvel Unlimited already? It's not on Marvel Unlimited, but Ben, you should. On Yeah, you should get all the Marvel comics on your Marvel app. So if you check that out, you should be able to read it. That's how I read it. All right. That'll be a New Year's read for me. Nice. Yeah. I'll come to your New Year's party with a full report. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) That's what I do. I just feel like I'm going to sit in the corner right here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have Jackie um, Weissenfelder, Civil War and Doctor Strange, hashtag Team Cap. We have Alex Mechapunk, the moment when Tony and Cap fight each other in the end of the Civil War movie, pure epic mix. It kind of reminds me when, um, Brian, when you came to L.A. to do that whole huge epic battle. I know. And uh, I actually saw some of that finished footage, and they were someone at the office was tinkering about putting it in a, a highlight reel. And it actually looked pretty okay. I looked like I could beat up uh, Iron Man, which is great. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, we have Joshua Cooper saying that the favorite part is all of A-Force and Mockingbird. His least favorite part was the Wolfman's departure. Aww. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, ben, why don't you take a couple? Okay. Sure thing. We've got Malachi saying when Hulk... Oh, wait. Hmm. We've got Toba Loba Atundi, Captain America fighting Iron Man in Civil War. Epic and sad battle between the two. Matt Reynolds says Spider-Man in Civil War. Larry Robido, my favorite Marvel moment was reliving some great memories when I got these cards out and realized how cool they were. And they were uh, Marvel. You remember the old Marvel metallic cards? No. They're all glossy and they use this cool like metal paint. The paint looked like metal. It was very cool. That sounds Back awesome. in the 90s. It was all the rage in the 90s. <laughs> um Ritika Tamrakar says, Steve, sorry, Tony, but Bucky is my friend. Tony, so was I. The Batman Vulture, not familiar with that character. Uh, my favorite moments are Ultron, Spider-Man, Avengers Civil War, Doctor Strange using his powers and talking with Dormammu. Uh, Gemma Simmons says, Fitzsimmons getting together. No surprise there. And then Raccoonatic, Rocket Raccoon, says, Rocket Raccoon's 40th anniversary thanks to Gold 25 Dog an empty set art for the shirts and all Raccoonatics out there who celebrated and my buddy X-Men Hank McCoy, huge Beast and Marvel fan, getting to announce Beast as Marvel Heroes' next playable hero. Nice. Uh, Laser Lilac says, Spider-Man and Deadpool dancing naked while Jane Foster is watching them. Did that happen? Yeah, that happened in Spider-Man Deadpool. Of course it did. I love that book. Great book. Uh, Super Shaw 201 says, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, eating chips in Civil War II while everyone is being serious in interrogation. Camilo Lenbach says, The Return of Power Man and Iron Fist, thanks to Sanford Green and David Walker. And Clay Landon says, Doctor Strange, uh, and he writes this as a Captain America fanboy of the First Order. So he's saying that he loved Doctor Strange a ton. Very good. Christine, why don't you take us home? We have Jonathan Harvey um, saying Spider-Man and uh, Captain America Civil War. And lastly, we have Raph A.B. Friendship is dope. Friendship Friendship is dope. I really, I have engaged with people about making these shirts. I need to talk to We Love Fine to finally make them for us. 
Seriously. We'll get on that. That's a 2017 theoretical possible. Maybe I'll try to get to it's a it. New resolution. Year's revo- resolution <laughs> and a New Year's revolution. Yes. Totally. Um, what about you guys? What are your favorite Marvel moments of 2016? Christine, you go first. Um, in Luke Cage, even though um, I love all the other characters, but the moment where Black Mariah just like, flips out um, in the bar and just kind of just like unleashes everything that she's being pent up and you know she's like oh i just killed my cousin but this is what i'm feeling and you know i'm trying to hold this legacy so that's my tv moment and my comic moment is just vision and how pretty much tom king just writes beautiful story of them trying to you know trying to be like a normal family but things just don't go so great and it's just kind of seeing how this family copes with um trying to just figure it all out and then realizing people aren't like them and what they do to hide it. All right. Very good. Ben, what about you? Uh, as, as we were kind of going through the episode, I realized just the incredible variety of comics we have out at this time. I mean, there's a, a lot of cool stuff to say about the movies and the TV and of course games, but just having a publishing line where a book like vision can be next to a book like black Panther can be next to a book like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, can be next to a book like Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. There's just so many different awesome comic books that we're putting out. I think this is the most, seriously, the most varied the line has ever been, and it's really cool being a part of that. Yeah, well said. Um, For me, it's tough. There's so many cool things. One of the things that keeps sticking out in my head, partially because it was recent, was being in Brazil and hearing, uh, just watching and seeing the crowd go nuts for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 trailer and James Gunn, and the hype around that film is just tangible and real, and people are super excited. On the TV front, maybe it's Ghost Rider, like that first time he flames on, and it comes, and it's just intense, and it's really, really cool. Um, plus, all the comics. I mean, Mockingbird... Mockingbird. Oh yeah, I forgot Mockingbird. Mockingbird maybe maybe my maybe my jam. I don't know if there's I mean there's there's a ton of really great books, but when I like if I close my eyes and just think of favorite comics of the year, Mockingbird sticks out. So yeah, we had a good one, good run this yeah. year. Yeah, and uh, also bringing Christine aboard it was a good yeah memory. that was a great memory. Yeah. We did that. It's that was good. a wonderful memory. Yes. My favorite right. of 2016. Yay! <laughs> um, all right, with that, we're going to sign off for the year. We'll be back we did it. next week. It, it all happens again. We start right over from the beginning. It all begins again. Yeah. All right, thanks, Christine. Thanks, Ben. And thank you to Mark and yeah. Blake, who didn't answer any of the emails. Right. And, uh, yeah, we'll just keep on chugging along. And most importantly, thank you to everyone who listens and rates and reviews and subscribes and subscribes to Loot Crate using our code and all that good stuff. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back with tons more in the new year. This is Marvel, your universe. Mm-hmm.